Hello and welcome to episode 185 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mark. Now, joining me on today's episode is James Spence from the absolutely incredible band Rolo Tomasi. I'm absolutely thrilled to have James join me today because I've been absolutely besotted with their brand new album, Where Myth Becomes Memory, which only came out this week. Honestly, it's been non-stop on Spotify for me. It's mind-blowing. It's one of those albums that you just grow to love even more and more and more after each and every listen. So I can't wait for that interview to come up in just a couple of moments' time. But on the intro of every episode of Mark and Me, I like to use it as an opportunity to touch base and talk about my last episode. On episode 184, I was joined by the film director Prano Bailey Bond. One of my most downloaded episodes of the year, my personal favourite episode of the year, and we got to sit down and talk all about the absolute masterpiece horror film, Censor. I just want to say now a massive thank you to everyone that's listened and to Prano Bailey Bond herself for taking the time to retweet, share it on Instagram, and just be replying to all the incredible feedback that we got for this interview. It really was an amazing interview, and I'm so, so proud of it. But let's get back to today's episode. As I said, I'm joined by James from the amazing band Rolo Tomasi. If at this point you haven't heard this band, go and check them out. You will not regret it. And please, go and buy yourself the brand new album, Where Myth Becomes Memory. It is unbelievable. But I think the best thing to do right now is to get to the interview with me and James. So here's me and James talking all things music. So James, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Good evening. How are you doing? I'm very good. I'm really pleased to have you on. I'm a massive fan of Rolo Tomasi and you're a band that I've seen many times with not intentionally going to see you. You've been supporting some incredible bands all across the country when I've gone and I've fallen in love with you guys. So I'm really excited for your new album. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to uh, to be here. What I want to do today for the listeners that might be tuning in and discovering Rolo Tomasi for the first time is take it back to the very start. So when you were growing up, can you tell me about those bands that you were listening to that made you fall in love with music? Yeah, for sure. I mean, if we're going to go right back to the start, I mean, the band that made me want to pick up a guitar was was Blink-182. I think I heard Enema of the State when I was about 12 or 13. And it just, yeah, it just completely kind of changed the trajectory that I was on. Um, I know it's not like particularly cool or maybe now credible sort of inroad to it, but being quite honest, like I heard all the small things on the radio and yeah, I wanted to learn how to play electric guitar. Um, I think from that, I kind of started getting into... Like a lot more British bands. Um, the first gig I ever went to see was Muse, and they were supported by Hundred Reasons, who ended up being like my favourite band for years. I was a bit, bit of an obsessive fan of, of those guys. And from there, I kind of got into things like At the Drive-In, and then sort of went into more heavier territory with bands like Thursday and Converge and the Dillinger Escape Plan. And that's, I suppose, what kind of roughly put me on track for for starting this band. I mean, you talk then about, I usually ask everyone what their first gig was, and you just told me. So you went to see Muse. Now, in I'm nearly 40 now, so in about, I reckon there's probably about 28 years worth of going to gigs. I've never seen a band like Muse. I don't know how they did it. You know, three of them on stage was just fucking unbelievable. I couldn't believe the sound they made. Can you remember that experience of seeing them on stage and just, you know, hearing those incredible songs live and, you know, your rib cage is kind of shaking from the bass and Matt Bellamy's guitar and everything? It's it's another level, isn't it? 100%. Like, I would have been 12, maybe 13 at the time. Um, wow. I was in the first, awesome. year of, first year of high school and I went with a group of friends. We saw them 
at Doncaster Dome, so just outside of Sheffield. Um, and they were touring Origin of Symmetry at the time. I think, again, they were just a band that I'd seen the video for Plug In Baby on MTV2 when I'd been around at someone's house. Um, and I was just like, well, what is this? Um, kind of went to see them on the back of just having that one record. And I'd never been to a gig before. Um, we kind of caught Muse really sort of on the ascendancy. I mean, I suppose that would have probably been a bit of a B market run for them, looking back on it, maybe. But it was it was just remarkable, really. Like, and I was like, I'm not a particularly tall person. Like, I wasn't even short a child, and I can just remember like an adult turning to me and saying, like, "Can you can you see anything from where you are?" <laughs> I got picked, I got picked up and put on someone's shoulders, and I just I've got this crystal clear image of what that looked like. I think that was around the time when they used did they used to release like giant balls onto the audience like they did like yeah like seafood and silver balls they just throw out and people just like yeah and i've just kind of got this memory of that and like seeing matt bellamy hitting them with his guitar and stuff and and it being like a real spectacle as well as the music just being yeah just a real sort of like you say in that cacophony almost and it really kind of hitting you um but it was a very very cool first show um and yeah seen them a bunch since like festivals and things like that um but yeah, it was, a, it was a good sort of entry point into like rock music and alternative music generally. A hundred reasons supporting. I mean, Ideas Above the Station for me is one of the greatest albums of all time. Like as a debut album, there's not a bad song on there. The way that Colin sounds, the production, the guitars, it was that whole British era of that incredible bands that came through like Hell is for Heroes, Ruben, yeah. all those bands. And you know, to see 100 Reasons, was that kind of that point when you knew you wanted to be in a band and really kind of, this is what I want to do? 100%. I think I definitely took something away from that show. And I think even with 100 Reasons, you know, this that tour for them was was before the, the debut album even, had even come out. Um, so for me, that like following them and kind of like following their path to releasing that record, I think it kind of taught me a lot about like being a fan of a band as well yeah. as you know learning about like what fans do and the sort of how touring works and things like that like it was sort of very um it was all quite uh educational in a way i suppose and i think it was as i sort of started to follow them and like regularly went to their shows in in sheffield and wherever else i could see them it was that that kind of definitely um lit the fuse with um with wanting to to actually be performing and playing and like be, be part of something bigger and did you do that thing that most people did of getting in a band at college and stuff and entering loads of Battle of the Bands and that sort of stuff? Or was your kind of first introduction to bands with Rolo Tomasi or was it loads of previous bands beforehand? So I, I played in one band before Rolo. Um, it was me, Eva and Joe who played guitar in Rolo originally. And then there was another kid at school that played drums for us. Um, and we used to just, we were, we were really lucky. Like we had a, I had a guitar teacher at school who really encouraged us to um to just get together and play like he kind of almost helped put the band together like he i didn't know joe that well at the time or michael who was drumming in that band and he kind of helped was like you know these are the two people are wanting to get better at their instruments i think the music that you like the, the best thing for you to do is going to be to play with other people um he was more of like a folk music teacher and i think he kind of saw the limitations that he had as someone that was kind of gonna guide us along our way to be, you know be better musicians and um he helped us put this band together and they gave us a space to rehearse at school, like after hours that we could go just practice for free. And we would mainly do sort of punk and pop punk covers to begin with um, until we started writing our own stuff. But it was a great way to kind of, you know, learn how to play with people. Um, so I did that for a few years before 
we eventually just got into heavier music and um and started rollo when i was maybe 15 16 yeah so how long's rollo been going all together now 17 years fucking hell that's crazy yeah. absolutely yeah. insane so you look way too young to be in a band for 17 years <laughs> i need to oh, know your secrets you. from whatever face cream you're using or whatever the lighting where I am, and I know this is no good for a podcast, is doing wonders for me. I feel very flattered by the uh, by the, by the reflections that I'm kind of getting right now. It's um, yeah, that's what it's all about. So, obviously, when you formed Rolo Tomasi, what was your kind of expectations? Were you there just to have fun and experiment and kind of find what you wanted to do as a sound to kind of create something that was exclusive to you guys? Obviously, I know you said you love Blink One Eight Two and stuff, but obviously, you didn't want to form a punk band. You wanted to be in a band that was yourselves. Yeah, I mean, you know, ultimately things like Blink, they were just kind of the, the, the things that tilted my ear towards alternative music. I think by the time that we came to doing Rolo, I'd very much sort of gotten further along with what I was listening to. And I think ultimately, like I wanted to be in a band that was a true reflection of that. And, you know, talking about bands like yeah, like the Dillinger Escape Plan, Converge, At The Drive-In, the Blood Brothers, The Locust. And I think there was a group of us that we just got into slightly just different music. And there weren't really any bands in the area that we were from that we felt were doing that kind of music or maybe that we just hadn't found them at the time. Um, so for us, it was more just about sort of wanting to do something in a reaction to what we were listening to. Um, and I think we just had no realistic expectations of it. We just wanted to get together and, and make music and, and to go and play gigs and just just enjoy doing that really. There wasn't really sort of a big goal as we started. And what was it like when you started doing those first shows and obviously you get support slots and you want to try and win crowds over when you get to the biggest, you know, the bigger stages. But for years, obviously, you were probably trying to get a name for yourself and start to establish yourself. You know, it's hard, isn't it, when you're a support band because people have paid money to see the main band and you kind of got the chance to try and win them over. Yeah, I mean, it was there was definitely challenges to begin with. I mean, in a very sort of straightforward manner, like we were like aged between 14 and 16 when we started the band. Like yeah. actually getting shows was hard enough. Like letting venues that would let us in was like a bonus. The majority of the time we were playing back rooms in pubs and there were instances where like people got wind of how old we were and we just weren't allowed to play. Like that happened on multiple occasions. We'd, we'd turn up somewhere and they'd be like, no, nah, I'm really, so the promoter would be saying, the managers find out how old you are, you're, like, you're not allowed in. Um, so to begin with, it was more just about like finding places that we could play. Um, and then it was just about, I don't know, getting up and, and playing what we'd written and just expressing ourselves, really. I think we didn't really put any pressure on ourselves to, like, win crowds over or anything like that. Um, I mean, that's probably why it's taken us 17 years to get anywhere. But, yeah, uh, we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. Did you feel as a band there was ever a turning point where you felt that, you know, you just joked then about how long it took to kind of get to the point where you're comfortable and you're really starting to make a name for yourself? But can you remember that point when it felt that, a lot you know each show you're doing is getting a bit bigger you could see your downloads or streams were getting bigger and you realize there was a turning point was there that bit in your career so far in the 17 years that you remember of being a highlight where you saw fucking hell like we're doing a headline tour now and you know loads more people are buying merch and we're really starting to establish ourselves i think we've been fortunate that we've experienced like a bunch of those moments where you kind of they're sort of like little landmarks within what you're doing um I think the first time we headlined at uh, the garage in London back in 2010, um, that was a really, really big deal at the time. Um, and then, you know, we kind of, there was a period in the middle where there was sort of 
a few lineup changes and uncertainties on the future. And we kind of spent a bit of time sort of getting back to to where we where we'd been. Um, and then with that came, you know, reaching those kind of heights of headlining again. Getting to play the Scala a few years ago was a really, really big deal. And sort of seeing that people were engaged in a way with the music that, that they never had been before. Um, I think just getting to a point where the audiences are just growing every time we go back to places, even just in, talking about in more recent years. But um, but yeah, certainly like festival performances, like getting to Leeds and Reading was incredible. That's a festival that I'd grown up going to. That felt like a huge deal. Uh, we've been really lucky to play Download a handful of times. The most recent time we did it was, was unbelievable. Um, I think any moment, any of those first initial moments where you're seeing people singing your songs back at you, like yeah. that in itself, it's a small thing, but it, it's a huge thing. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's been a lot of like sort of the tangible points where we've we felt the, the, the growth, definitely. And you mentioned your lineup change and times where you've had to reconsider everything and reevaluate and stuff. And 17 years is a long run. Obviously, you said there's been times that have tested you. What is it that's made you so resilient and always keep bouncing back? Because, you know, some bands you see break up as soon as they lose a member, they just crumble or it's not the same and they just, you can tell their heart's not in anymore. But you guys seem more hungry now than you've ever been. Well, I think, you know, just to kind of coin the phrase that you use, the heart, the, the heart has always been there. And it, yeah. it's just been about, um, been about knowing that we still have plenty more to offer and just it, on certain instances it just took finding the other right people that wanted to be a part of that and to, to grow with us and we were really lucky that when we did have to make key lineup changes the people that we brought in were the absolute right people um they've been with the band since they've written the bulk of the best material we've ever put out um and yeah i think just having just actual belief in what we're doing throughout and yeah just being committed to it it must be amazing as well. Like you said, you've done some incredible gigs, festivals, stuff like 2000 Trees, Download, Reading and Leeds. You know, there must be, like you said, certain points that you kind of tick off as a band that is like a, a huge goal. But, I mean, you just said then, the music you're now recording, which we're all waiting on, you know, the Where Myth Becomes Memory, you know, we're sitting there waiting for this album release now. Do you think it's probably your best work to date? Is it your most proud work? 100% it, it, it's absolutely that it's something that we've, we've come away from the experience of, of making it and we all feel entirely satisfied creatively we're just so delighted to to have made the record and we we just can't wait to, to release it and start touring it and to start making some more of those memories that we were talking about you know I think there's a lot more to come um I think we could definitely hit like even bigger heights sort of within our own sort of levels of success on this record and yeah we're, we're just really really pleased we're in a you know it's a good time for us at the moment and did you write and record this album during lockdown or prior to lockdown how's it worked out with timescales because every band i've talked to i had thrice on recently and they had to delay their album and every band's kind of working around schedules and everything's mm -hmm. been put back but was this originally going to come out prior to this or is it a case of it's all gone to plan I mean, we started working on it in 2018, uh, right after the last record came out. Like there was the, the initial early songs for this were started way back then. Um, we'd always planned on writing a new record. It wasn't that we had to change any plans too drastically because of, um, of what's going on with the coronavirus. Um, there's a few sort of shows and festivals that we had to cancel disappointingly, but it 
you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's an absolute drop in the ocean. But the bulk of the record was written during the pandemic, but it would have been written anyway, I think ultimately is what I'm trying to say. And and yeah, we recorded it January of um, of 2020. Um, so we've been sat on it for quite a long time, actually. It's been it's been a little frustrating with that in mind. We wanted to make sure that we could could tour it to some extent. So we, we delayed releasing it, at least. That was, I suppose, one knock-on effect of everything that's been going on. You must be so eager to get out there now. I know obviously you've got the February tour dates in the UK announced. You've got 2,000 trees, stuff like that. But you must be like, fucking hell, let me play these songs live. I know, honestly, it's been a real ordeal because we've, we've been, we haven't had a finished record since March last year. Yeah. Um, so to have pretty much almost had to wait a full calendar year to do it has been, it's been testing at times and it's been quite sort of interesting and, and funny doing all of the, the interviews and the press we've been doing because you know, so much of it now is so bloody long ago that like I've had to really wrap my brains about like, what was it like being in the studio? Like, what were we thinking when we were putting these songs together? But um, but yeah, ultimately, like, the main feeling from us now is just one of absolute desperation to get out and, and to just be playing these on stage and for people to hear it. Ultimately, like, you know, we, we wrote it for people to listen to. And it's going to be a huge relief when um, when the 4th of February comes around and people can actually have the record. And having those couple of years off, and I know it sounds ridiculous, but does it feel a bit rusty? Does it feel a bit like fucking hell? Like, is the is the kind of anxiety there to go on stage again or are you just more hungry than you've ever been because i've spoke to some bands who are like it sounds ridiculous but we've forgotten how to play because it's been so long it's been a couple of years yeah. off for you guys i mean so we're fortunate in that we did a one-off show in brighton uh, where most of us live in november last year and i was really really worried going into that show because it just felt like not that we've forgotten how to play but how we've forgotten how to play a gig like we still play the keys yeah but the sort of the the rhythm that you have to fall into to be playing a show um, and everything that goes into that, there's just a lot to think about. And it didn't help as well that we were playing with like quite a lot of new equipment and like a bit of a new stage setup. So there's a lot to think about generally. Um, but yeah, I was definitely, there was a bit of um, bit of nerves going into it. And I, and I feel the same about the, the shows as well, but I think, you know, it, it would be, it would be weirder to not feel a bit nervous about it at this point. Like, I'm glad I feel something. Um, I, I don't want to just go into this and kind of take any of it for granted. And I think ultimately we're only nervous because we care and because we want the gigs to be good for, for everybody involved. Yeah. And something I've noticed about your band, which I really respect, is when I go to gigs, I sometimes will go and see a band. And because they spend so long in the studio with production and making everything sound great and layering up the guitars and the drums and everything else, when you go and see a band then, it falls flat a bit because they've spent so long in the studio doing stuff. But when I see you guys play, and this is respect to people like you and Black Peaks and bands like that, you sound like the record, you know, it, there's not too much of a drop. And do you do that on purpose when going into the studio so it isn't like, it sounds ridiculous, but you know, you go and see Corn and Limp Bizkit and it's so produced that when you go and see it live, it's never going to live up to that because they've spent six months and budgets over the top and all this extra production. But you guys are very authentic to your sound on CD. I mean, I think ultimately, like, we do aim to have the live experience and the, the recorded experience as different things. Like, I'd want people to want to come and see us play live because they get something different from it. Um, I think it's really nice and flattering that you say that. Like, it sounds like good live. And I'll, you know, I think a lot of that is down to, we work with some fantastic live sound engineers. They're, yeah. they're absolutely like dons. And like, I want to definitely um, to recognize that. But um, I think so much of it is in the arrangement of the songs. I think um, there's a lot about the way that we write music that just, it is intended to be played live. Yeah. I think, you know, some of the artists that you're talking about and some of those kind of 
with just records generally, maybe playing it live isn't necessarily always at the forefront. And so they have to rely on production to make the songs something that maybe they're not. Whereas everything that we're doing, it's, it's always the intention to play it live. And, you know, some songs are more challenging than others. And there's definitely a few songs from the new record where there's a lot we did in the studio to make it sound the way it does. And I'm excited for the challenge of playing it live, but it will be a challenge. It's incredible as well that, you know, it blows my mind when you say 17 years. It never feels that long. You know, it's like fucking hell. But the fact you've done this for 17 years and right now you feel that you're putting out your best work today. That is pretty awesome, isn't it, really? Because most bands give absolutely everything for their debut. Then they have the follow-up, which is really hard to beat if it's been successful. But you guys have just grown and grown. And if you're just now releasing the best music you've done, that's pretty exciting times ahead then. I feel that way, definitely. Um I think we have the benefit of sort of, you know, we started really, really young doing it. And it's interesting, you know, you're saying about, you know, did you start being in a band when you were at college, X, Y, and Z. And I think, you know, this was that first band for us that a lot of people did start in college. And we just kind of, we stuck with it and we, you know, learned from the mistakes that we made early on and just felt that we'd built something that was worth keeping. And that's why it was, you know, the longevity is down to that really. Um, and, you know, we just got new people involved at the right the right periods of time that have, have really, really helped with that as well. But yeah, it is really, really exciting to be sat here and to feel like we're putting the best music that we've ever done out. I think unless we felt that we still had more to offer and that we weren't making the best music we were doing like right now, I think it would be maybe a conversation about why we're still doing it at all. Um, but yeah like like i said you know we're, we're thrilled with the record we're we're so excited to share it and and just to get out and be playing it it's exciting times i do feel like the world is slightly getting back to normal now you know i've got gigs coming up and they haven't been cancelled which is a relief i yeah, feel sure. that the festivals are going to happen this year i feel like we are going to go to 2000 entries and download and to see your part of that as well i think it must be you must feel like you let off the leash again it must be such a good feeling well, that's it. And, uh, you know, I share your optimism in that I think things are going in the right direction. Um, we're delighted to have gigs on sale that look like they are going to go ahead. And and the idea of being back on stage at a festival, it's, you know, it means everything to us, really. Like, I was really lucky to be at the download pilot that happened last summer. Yeah, I was there too. And it was awesome. Yeah, the, the, the main thing, you know, it was, it was such just a huge release to even be there watching. Uh, like, you know, I cannot even begin to understand how it felt for the people playing. And, you know, just the idea of getting to do that, you know, it's giving me goosebumps just thinking about it. It's amazing, man. There's a lot of bands that listen to this podcast that are up and coming. And I know it's tough, but what advice do you give to them right now in an industry that's changed from 17 years ago? And they're trying to make a name for themselves in a world where you can record a song in a day on your laptop, put it out and get on Spotify. But, you know, it's all about touring now, isn't it? It's not about record sales. It's about going out there and putting on the best show that you can. But what advice do you give to people that are listening today that want to be like yourself and be successful in music? Um, I mean, I would say just be be honest to yourself and to what you're doing to learn how to do everything yourself. I think there's a lot of bands that get people involved way too early. Like we made the mistake of doing that in some instances and the best lessons I've learned are definitely the ones I learned the hard way and myself. Um, I think it's really important just to have a full idea of, of everything that goes into being in a band. There's a lot more to it than just being on stage and playing guitar or singing. Um, and ultimately just to remember to have fun doing it. Um, yeah. I think it's really easy to kind of get caught up in like ticket sales and album streams and YouTube streams, but 
you know there's a reason that people do this and like it is the most fun in the world i'm really fortunate to do it with like my sister my best friends um and and we have a great time doing it like it's not to say it's not hard work and that there isn't a lot of hard work that goes into it but it is fun and it needs to stay that way so yeah always um always make sure you're having fun and always this is the best bit of advice change bed sheets before you go on tour when you get back and you've got clean sheets you will appreciate it so so much i'm the same when i just go to holiday or like pembrokeshire for a week i'm like change the bed sheets because that feeling when you get home so i can't imagine what it'd be like after months of tour it's unrivaled it is just it's my favorite thing to do it feels like you're giving yourself a high five in the future or from the past yeah as much as it's a chore when you actually got to do it the night before you go away but then it's the result of coming back It, it honestly it's worth it's worth the burden really incredible my final question for you today is putting you on the spot so what i do on mark and me is to make it as original as i can is i ask the guest that's on the podcast to choose the outro piece of music oh okay I so love that. it can be any band any song and usually people in bands struggle the most with this but it can be anyone in the whole world that you like with any song but don't pick your own because it's a chance to you know, give me a reason why, but what's the song that means a lot to you that you think would be a great outro song for today's episode? It's all edited, it's out there, it's ready for the world to listen to, the interview's done, and then it just plays that final piece of song. What is it you want and who's it by? Crikey, um, great question. And it's the kind of thing I think about all the time, but now that you've really put me on the spot, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough to make it happen. Um, I'm gonna go with... Um, it's a song I've listened to a lot recently and it's someone that continues to inspire me. Um, this song, it's called, it's number two. It's spelled like hash two. It's by Nils Fram and it's from a recent live album that he did called Tripping with Nils Fram. It's really important that you play the live version because there's like a bunch of different versions of this song. And I think as an artist that's continuing to evolve and like push himself and reimagine things that he's already done creatively, like this is, it's just up there with the absolute best in the world. Best to do it. And it's got to be the live version. It's got to be that version of it because the other recorded, but the recorded studio version of it is so different. Yeah. The live version of it has just got this energy that is just unrivaled. It's it's incredible. Amazing. I'm glad that you got it. Most people in bands are like, oh, I've got it down to five choices. And then they're trying to struggle. I'm like, can I email you? And I'm like, no, it needs to be no. today. What's the one that comes to your heart and soul? So you've chosen it nicely. Yeah. Just has a real positive energy and it's kind of like, it's how I'm feeling at the minute. So I want to do something that's true to myself. That's amazing. So I wish you all the luck with your new album. Luckily I've been able to hear advanced copy of it and I'm not just saying this, it's fucking awesome. The tour dates are coming up literally in a few weeks, which is so exciting Mm -hmm. because, you know, I've had a few cancellations from stuff recently and it's, it's really depressing. You know, I've got my faith no more cancellation, incubus cancellation. And it's like, ah, but it's, you know, it's really good to know that you're going to be here in less than a month. And I can't wait to see some of these songs live and just to see live music again. For sure. Well, we'll look forward to seeing you there. So there it is. There's my interview with me and James from the unbelievable band Rolo Tomasi. Where Myth Becomes Memory is the new album and it's out now. Seriously, one of my contenders for album of the year. I can't see many albums that are going to come along now and beat this. It's astonishing songwriting. The musicianship is fantastic and it's just an album that will go deeper and deeper into your soul that you'll just lose yourself in. It's so, so good. If you've really enjoyed today's episode, go on to markandme.com because on there there's links to my Facebook page, my Twitter account and my Instagram page. 
All the episodes are posted on there and you can share them for free. It makes a massive difference to Mark and me and really is the best marketing tool that I can use. Maybe one of your friends that hasn't heard this band might just see the link and then hit that play button. It's really crucial to getting the word out there and it means so much to me and costs you absolutely nothing. If you really want to go one above and support me on another level, I do have a Patreon page. And each and every month, thanks to the amazing sponsors of the show, Last Exit to Nowhere t-shirts, the incredible Vice Press, and Richer Sounds, I have some amazing gifts to give away. These are to say thank you for supporting the podcast and a way of me giving back to you guys. But honestly, for as little as £1 a month, you can go on there. It makes a massive difference, allows me to travel the country, host the podcast on all these different directories, and give you some fantastic prizes for supporting me. So please, if you've loved today, it really is very little to ask, and it goes a huge, huge way. I'll be back in only a few days' time with a brand new episode. This month has been insanely busy, and honestly, I believe it's my strongest month, so stay tuned for some exciting news very soon. So until then, look after yourself, take care, be safe, listen to Rolo Tomasi, and I'll speak to you all soon.